0: Church, it's good to be back with you after being away last weekend. I understand Cousin Galen uh, did a rather good job filling in uh, well and kept you on your toes and awake, and so uh, thank you, church, for allowing me time to be away, and thank you for your commitment to God's Word and wanting to hear from Him, and so let me invite you to open up His Word with me this morning to the first uh, book of the New Testament, Matthew's Gospel. we will be in Matthew uh, chapter 1 today looking specifically at verses 18 through 25. But uh, before we do that, before we read that text, um, do something for me as, uh, as I begin. Uh, take a moment where you are uh, and close your eyes for just a moment. Let your mind go for just a, a few moments. Now, I know that's a dangerous thing. Um, word association games are dangerous, so don't say uh, anything out loud here. Uh, but what comes to mind when I say college football? How about when I say family vacation? What about when I say semester exams? Santa Claus? What about when I say Christmas? Open your eyes now. When I say the word Christmas, what comes to your mind? What do you think of? I mean, really, those are... Uh, That's a word that no doubt conjures up some sort of thoughts or emotions or feelings or memories for each of us. Decorations, bows, garland, lights, cookies, hot apple cider, grandma's house, maybe presents and stuffed stockings, Santa Claus gift exchanges. What comes to your mind? If you were to gather with a group of family or friends over the next few weeks and sit down with them and tell the Christmas story, what would you say? What details would you share? What, what part or parts of the story would, would you emphasize? Well, today we turn to, to Matthew to hear Matthew tell the Christmas story. Over the next few weeks, the next few Sundays, we'll be looking at stories of Christmas. We'll be looking at different angles, different biblical angles to this all important story. Today we're in Matthew. Next Sunday we'll be in Mark. The following will be in Luke. But Matthew is especially interesting in depicting Jesus right away as the very one uh, whom the Old Testament prophecies uh, foretold, the coming Messiah. This is why he begins with a genealogy in his opening verses. He wants us to know the significance of Jesus' earthly lineage. The scriptures had made much of Jesus' lineage, the Messiah's lineage, saying that he would be a king from David's line whose kingdom would never, ever end. And this one would be the one who would save God's people. And Matthew does not want us to miss this. And so he opens up right away in the first verse with these words, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. We'll see where he goes from there. So as you find your place in God's Word, we invite you, as is our practice, to join me standing, whether in body or in spirit, for the reading of God's Holy Word. Matthew chapter one I'll be reading verses 18 through 25. Matthew writes, he says, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Would you bow with me? Father, we thank you for this story, your story. Father, we thank you for your word where you tell us who you are and who we are and what you have done for us. And, Father, now we pray that your spirit would lead us and speak to us, guide us, instruct us according to your word, that we might be shaped by the gospel of Jesus. Lord, it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, you may be seated. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. Now, right away in Matthew's version of the Christmas story, he wants us to know who he is talking about. It doesn't leave us in the dark to that end. And like all the other gospel writers, he wants to communicate to us uh, the absolute certainty uh, of Jesus' coming and that Jesus' coming is a miraculous mystery. Jesus' coming is a miraculous mystery. His Christmas story, uh, Matthew's version of the Christmas story, focuses in here for a few verses on Joseph. If we didn't have Matthew, Joseph's perspective, for the most part, would be absent we'd be left assuming how Joseph must have responded to the news of Mary's unexpected pregnancy. Now, we need to pause and consider this pregnancy because this was not a normal pregnancy. Now, it was normal in the sense that the baby in Mary's womb received his nutrients from her body and his, his warmth from her womb and his comfort from her voice, It was normal in the sense that it was nine months of growing increasingly uncomfortable, culminating, no doubt, in a painful delivery. Yes, Mary's pregnancy and delivery resembled other pregnancies and deliveries in her day, but the conception of the child in her womb was something altogether different. Something altogether unique and significant. Matthew says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. Literally, he says, the origin of Jesus the Messiah was like this. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they had come together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, believe it or not, uh, virgin births were just as surprising as and uncommon and absolutely unheard of in ancient Judea as they are in Birmingham, Alabama today. They were about as common as unicorns. Joseph and Mary were pledged to be married, and in that day that meant they were legally bound to one another, and to break off the engagement was equivalent to divorce. And all that was left was for this couple to physically consummate their marriage. Now put yourself in their shoes for just a moment. Imagine the confusion. Imagine the fear. Imagine the anxiety and the emotions when young Mary, who had never had a physical relationship with a man, found out she was pregnant. And now imagine Joseph. What would you do if you found out, men, that the woman you love, the one whom you are preparing Mary was pregnant just before you took her into your home. Upon hearing the news of Mary's pregnancy, there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that Joseph was angry, that he was confused, that he was grieving, that he was broken. Believing that his fiance had been unfaithful, he was left with two options. Really, he could shame her publicly, or he could divorce her quietly. And in his compassion, he chose the latter. How many of you who are part of this church family know that uh, we've, uh, many, we've been hearing updates. Some of you have been reading updates of one of our own families, the German family, and their adoption process and the years that have been uh, coming to a, a culmination here over the last. Months and weeks and even days as they traveled uh, overseas to Bulgaria to uh, to, uh, to 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 uh, expand their family to double their family to bring their two boys home and they did just that this last week and if you've been hearing those updates if you've been reading any of those updates or seeing any of the pictures that have been shared God has been at work there's no doubt God has been at work behind the scenes He's been preparing He's been planning and leading Brandon and Kellyanne. Uh, Overseas, in order to adopt Peter and Patrick, specifically to those boys. And hearing the details of that beautiful story unfold, we can see God's hand at work and we ought to celebrate it with them. And likewise, church, as we read an account like this, as we read Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 and following, we can see God's hand at work behind the scenes. Preparing, planning, and leading Joseph to Mary in order to adopt her son as his very own. Don't miss, that's what Joseph is being told to do here. Joseph, adopt this boy who is not your biological son as your son and name him Jesus. I don't think we think about this story very often from Joseph's perspective. But without hesitation, according to the Scriptures, Joseph obeys. This was not his son. But by adopting Jesus as his own son, Joseph's lineage as a son of David, verse 20, demonstrates Jesus' right as his son to the throne of David, which, of course, was predicted and promised through the prophets. He would sit on David's throne forever, And through Joseph's obedience to the Lord and taking Mary as his wife and adopting her son as his own, Joseph's lineage becomes Jesus' legal lineage. I don't doubt you likely know this. There are many today that want to uh, discount the virgin birth as an impossibility uh, or a non-necessity of Christianity. But may I simply say to do so is to reject the Word of God, thus even to reject God himself. And the reason that this is such a big deal, the reason that the virgin birth is such a big deal and an undeniable tenet of our faith is because the problem of sin doesn't need a human solution, it needs a divine solution. In one author's words, that's part of the purpose of the virgin birth of Jesus is to show us that salvation does not come from us, but from God. See, Jesus' coming is a miraculous mystery born of a virgin, born to an adoptive father and entering a broken world in need of a savior. Jesus' coming is a miraculous mystery and his coming reveals his identity. Jesus' coming reveals his identity. Who is he? Who is this one? Who is this Christ child that we sing about? Who is this one that we focus on? Who is this one that we celebrate? First, we see in the scriptures that he is fully human. Fully human. It's one of us. He was born of a woman, meaning that just like other babies, he came crying and cooing, he came hungry and helpless. He did not come with a halo on his head or a glow on his face. It was a holy night. But I seriously doubt it was a silent night. I've got three kids myself, an 8-year-old, a 5-year-old, and a 2-year-old. And I really think in the last 8 years or so, there have been few nights in our house where one child at least did not wake up for some reason. I have no doubt it must have been similar with Jesus. Cows mooing, animals making noise, quietly rocking and putting this baby back to bed. Friends, he came as one of us. He grew tired and he became hungry. He had a human mind, learning words and growing in wisdom. And as Jesus grew, he experienced the full range of human emotions, crying, crying, laughing, rejoicing. He can identify with us. And because He was like us, He can represent us. Familiar with our struggles, familiar with our sorrows, familiar with our suffering and temptation, He is fully human, but He is not just human. He is also, according to the Scriptures, divine, fully God and fully man. Not 50-50, but fully, fully one of the modern hymn writers writes, Come, behold the wondrous mystery in the dawning of the King, he the theme of heaven's praises, robed in frail humanity. In our longing and our darkness, now the light of life has come. Look to Christ, who condescended, took on flesh to ransom us. Fully God and fully man. Making him a suitable savior. For without his humanity, he could not fully identify with us. And without his divinity, he could not accomplish salvation for us. Our sin problem would require a divine solution. And fullness of God and human flesh is that solution. The king of all kings and yet a lowly child. The maker of the universe and yet fashioned in Mary's womb. What a marvelous mystery. Church, don't discount the mystery. Don't move beyond the mystery. Revel in the mystery. This doctrine known as the Incarnation, describing Jesus as fully God and fully human, is a central tenet of our faith. And a stumbling block yet to many of the faith. Leading many. Large groups of people. Leading masses. Leading Jews and Muslims. Even Jehovah's Witnesses to reject the truth about Jesus. Jesus' coming is a miraculous mystery, and when we receive the mystery of the Incarnation in faith, then it could only make sense that that one, that this one, could calm the storm on the sea, that this one could turn water into wine, that this one could walk on the water, that this one could feed the very stomachs He fashioned into existence. Friends, the coming of Christ calls for faith, calls for faith in a profound mystery, the mystery of God becoming man for our sake. Jesus' coming is a miraculous mystery. His coming reveals his identity, and finally, his coming reveals, confirms God's power and his promises. Jesus' coming confirms God's power and his promises. You see, the birth of Christ is one of a kind. It's not the norm, it's never to happen. Again, it's not scientifically reproducible or mathematically possible for this is from God and God alone. Do you believe in miracles? I'm not talking about the 1980s U.S. hockey team. I'm talking about the story of Christmas. Story that we share, that we celebrate, that we hear, that we read, that we gather over this time of Year the story that declares that the Lord gives life. This is a story that declares that, that Jesus gives life. Church Matthew wants us to know that this is a story of life. Matthew says this is the origin or the genesis of Jesus the Messiah. Phraseology, language that takes us all the way back to the beginning. The beginning of Matthew takes us back to the beginning of, of Genesis, the beginning of the Old Testament, where the Spirit of God breathes life into man. The Lord breathed life into Adam, Genesis 1:27, and now Matthew declares that the Lord has breathed life into Jesus, the Messiah. And if you remember that account in Genesis chapter three, where Adam and Eve sinned, they rebel against God. God promised a seed. He, he promised a seed from the woman who would crush the head of Satan. And now in Matthew chapter one. Mary conceives that seed. And in Genesis chapter 3, Adam succumbs to sin, rebelling against God. And ever since, every single child conceived by man has inherited a sinful nature from Adam and followed in his footsteps. I know I have. You have. No matter how hard I, I try to do the right thing, to obey the Lord, eventually I do wrong because I'm a sinner. Sinner by nature. But Matthew is saying that something significant is happening here. Here's a story of one who did not inherit a sinful nature from Adam. One who was conceived by the Holy Spirit of God Himself. Born of a virgin. Here's a story of one who lived the life Adam didn't. Come behold the wondrous mystery. He, the the perfect Son of Man, in His living and His suffering, never traced nor stain of sin. See the true and better Adam come to save the hell-bound man. Christ the Great and sure fulfillment of the law. In Him we stand. The giver of life took on human life. He took on flesh in order to live the perfect life we couldn't so that He could give His life for us and provide true and lasting life to us. A marvelous, mysterious story reminding us that the Lord is faithful to His Word. God is always faithful. He always keeps His Word. Matthew says, verse 22, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The political campaign trail is gearing up once again with ads on television and social media promises are already being made. If I'm in office, I'll do such and such. And this is why you ought to vote for me. And we ought to be grateful for honest politicians, the few that there are, but aren't you grateful that God is no politician? God is not vying for anyone's vote. He's not negotiating for media attention. He's not trying to bolster his own intelligence or credibility or image above that of others. He's always fully faithful to his word. He proclaimed Christ's coming and Christ has come. His word never, ever fails. Matthew says all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. This or a similar phrase is used by Matthew ten times to speak of Jesus fulfilling the Old Testament. 700 years earlier, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, Isaiah proclaimed, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And here in Matthew's gospel we read, in Jesus it came to pass. Likewise, Micah the prophet predicted in Micah chapter 5 verse 2, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. And in Jesus so it happened. And regarding the coming servant of God, Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 53 verse 4, Surely He took up our pain and He bore our suffering. Yet we considered Him punished by God, stricken by Him and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him. And by His wounds we are healed. And so it is, church. Christ has come to save. The Lord has come to save she will give birth to a son, verse 21. And you, Joseph, are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The Bible tells us a lot of stuff. It could be a challenging and difficult book to navigate at times but the Bible is not first and foremost about a hero. The Bible is not first and foremost about telling us how we ought to live a life that pleases the Lord. Certainly the Bible communicates those things, but more than all else, the Bible tells us of a God who has rescued us in his mercy, declares that he is a savior, that he is Lord, that he is sovereign, but he is a God who stooped down to save. The gospel declares that we need to be saved from our sins and that in Jesus, God came to save us from our sins. That's good news. In Jesus, God came to save us from our sins. He came and he came to save. I remember having a conversation just a few days ago, sometime this last week. I don't remember uh, who it was with, but I remember telling someone, maybe it was you, uh, to tell uh, somebody in your family hello for me, uh, to to speak to them on my behalf, Asked about somebody in the family. and uh, We all do something like that uh, from time to time, but sometimes uh, that's not sufficient. Sometimes the significance of the message demands more than just a casual delivery through someone else, through a messenger. Uh, when I proposed to, to my wife, uh, now wife, Ashley, I didn't send a messenger uh, to ask her uh, if she would marry me. Hope you uh, guys didn't do that either. I went myself. Why? In David Platt's words, he says, because in matters of love, one must go himself. That's a picture of the incarnation. There's an infinitely great God, mighty in power, who, is, who out of his love for us has not simply sent a messenger to us to tell us about his love. He has come himself. Emmanuel, God with us to save us from our sins. In Jesus, God came to save us from our sins. Friend, are you saved? Are you saved? Do you know that you're saved from your sins? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Matthew is one of the original twelve disciples whom Jesus called, John is another. John says it this way in John chapter 3, verses 16 and following. He says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. He says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Sent Him to save. In Jesus, God came to save us from our sins. He says, Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. God sent his son into the world to save the world. In Jesus, God came to save us from our sins. Why does this matter? Why is it such a big deal? Why is salvation so important? Friends, salvation means forgiveness for our sins. Salvation means reconciliation with God, the one who made us. A right relationship with him now and forever. Salvation means an invitation into the family of God. Salvation means that just as Joseph adopted baby Jesus as his own son, so God himself adopts us as his own children. Friend, are you a child of God? Are you a child of God? Paul the Apostle reflecting on these same truths. He writes to the Churches in Galatia tells about this story and the significance of it this way. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, he says, But when the set time had fully come. In other words, he says, it's just the right time in history? When God planned and determined that it was the right time he sent his son, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. Why? That we might receive adoption to sonship. He says, because you are His sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. The Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. He says, so you, believers, are no longer slaves. You're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are His child, God has made you also an heir. Friend, are you a child of God? Have you been adopted by the Almighty One? Saved by Jesus, the only suitable Savior because of God's abundant grace. You can be. Friend, if you're not, you can be today. You can know that you are forgiven and reconciled, that you are the recipient of the mission of Jesus. You are saved by His grace. You can know for sure by acknowledging your sin before God, saying, God, I'm a sinner. I've I've gone my own way. I've often done my own thing. I've often lived as if you were not God. Forgive me for that. And I recognize that that Jesus is the Messiah, that He is the Savior, that He is your plan, your Son, and that He came to this earth to live in my place, to live the life I couldn't live and to die the death that I deserve so that I could have His life, so that I could live with you forever and ever. You can know for sure today by turning and trusting in Jesus in faith. Turn and trust Him today. And then walk as one of His. Would you bow with me? Father, I pray pray that we would live as if we are yours. Father, I pray for this church, the people who comprise it. Lord, I pray that we would walk according to your word, that we would submit day after day to your Son. Lord, that we would serve you, that we would Live out this identity that you have given us as your children in Jesus Christ. Lord, we are so undeserving. Remind us of your grace. May your grace motivate us and propel us to live according to your plan, to live for your glory, to proclaim the truth of your gospel. And Father, I do pray for any who are gathered in this place today who who do not know you, Lord, who do not know that they are forgiven, that they are right with you because they've repented and trusted in Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would lead them to do so today. Or that today would be a day of salvation here. Or that people would turn and trust and follow Jesus and rest in the assurance of forgiveness and salvation in him. Lord, may we be a people and a place that exalts your name. Be exalted among us now. And it's in the name of Christ we pray, amen.